Welcome, everyone, to a very special All About Windows Phone podcast, uh, the Insight podcast, even 154, recording this on Tuesday, the 29th of September, 2015. What makes it special? I'm Steve Litchfield, but that's not special, but I am trying to record <laughs> this podcast on a Windows laptop for the first time in four years. So I'm trying to walk the walk, Mr. Rafe Blanford. Well, I've been on a Windows machine all that time, so I've been walking the walk. So it's nice of you to join me on the other side of the fence. It's also special because it's the first podcast we've managed to do in two weeks, and I have to put my hands up. And so that's my fault, got distracted by a few other things going on. Uh, but yes, we're returning to kind of hopefully the weekly format. We've actually got some big news coming up October the 6th. That's when the new flagships are expected to be announced. But we've got a few topics we wanted to get through this week, Steve, including, I think, a long-promised discussion. <laughs> Indeed. Something I've tra- tackled twice now, and I, I may well return to again in, in the future, is looking at the different voice assistants on on the main major four platforms. I guess you could discount BlackBerry now because BlackBerry seems to be going all Androidy, um, but you still have Cortana, Google Now, and Siri, all kind of with similar aims, aiming to take natural language queries and do something intelligent with them, in the vein of, for example, a, a, a real human personal assistant. Um, now, the first time round, Siri kind of walked away with it. I think because Siri is basically the more mature of the product and uh, Apple had programmed more responses and more scenarios into it. This second time round, about six months on, now all of a sudden now if people look at the link in the show notes, we've got Cortana winning by a very, very slender nose from Google now. So basically both of those, the two more modern um, assistants doing very well indeed. And now Siri lagging behind. So it really does seem as if uh, Microsoft's Cortana and Google's Google now are both kind of overtaking Siri uh, in the grand scheme of things. Now, I did double the number of questions for this this thing, and each time I revisit the article, just to make sure people get value for money, as it were, I'm going to add another 10 questions on, trying to think of different scenarios, the things I could you could ask a real human assistant and see how well the machines cope. But uh, I think it's quite heartening that Cortana at least got was at the top of the table for once and not in third place. It, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that people... You know, don't realize about these assistants is there's an awful lot of technology behind them. They present on the device as something, you know, pretty simple. And you know, some of the results you see make you think that it's actually just a search engine query that's then being returned. And of course, actually, that is the case a lot of the time. But um, in the case of Google, now it's using some of um, Google's kind of uh, smart assistants, its uh, semantic web and some of its knowledge graph. And the boxes that you get on the side of Google search results on kind of when you're doing a web search are used. Uh, plus a lot more. And there tends to be an added emphasis on location. Obviously, that can use the sensors on the devices. But it's also, you know, calling in kind of data from the device. So when you're asking about your upcoming events or schedule and things like that. And so I think it's worth trying to explain that there is several approaches to this. You know, you can try and think about every query and kind of program a response for that. In the early days, that's typically what these kind of voice assistants or prefer to think of them as command line because it's not just uh, voice. You know, you can just type in the query and have it have it happen. And I use that quite frequently because there's obviously a whole thing around voice and when you want to use that. Uh, the thing, it used to be kind of that, you know, brute force approach. And actually that's still used, I think, a, a lot of the time. But um, Google and Cortana, and I think Siri to an extent as well, um, and perhaps less BlackBerry assistant, uh, as is represented by its kind of last place in the table, 
um, are starting to use more sophisticated backends. And, you know, uh, they're not the kind of neural programming, all the things that you'll hear about. Um, but there is an attempt to do more natural language processing, uh, to kind of use some of the intelligence that's built into being in this kind of query engine. And if you go and read some of the technical documentation, you, you'll find out more about it. But effectively, Cortana is a, a little bit more advanced, um, certainly than Siri. I think Google uh, are less open about how exactly it works. Um, and so I'm not sure I can sort of justify saying that Cortana is the most sophisticated, but um, Microsoft has talked a lot about the technology underneath Bing and that, that is being used both in kind of Cortana on the mobile phone where it kind of debuted, but of course it's now in Windows 10 on the desktop as well. And so I wasn't that surprised to see Cortana come out on top. And it's probably fair to say, Steve, if you ask a different set of questions, you might be able to swap around Google Now and Cortana because they were equally good. But I think it's probably fair to say they're notably ahead of Siri and certainly a long way ahead of BlackBerry Assistant. Yes, indeed. I, obviously, the next 10 questions I had may just uh, level the playing field very slightly. But uh, the, the one big thing I wanted to just mention before we move on off this topic was the fact that in every single case, in every single question, there was zero problem, much to my surprise, with any of the assistants, any of the voice recognition engines understanding my text. Now, I know I speak relatively good English, but um, <laughs> I'm well, a bit of a Somerset twang, but I, I also speak quite fast and I wasn't trying to slow down for these devices. And I know a lot of these, this software is written in America and they may not necessarily have English accents programmed into the nth degree. And yet, not once, not once in all of those questions for all of those assistants, not once did I get any kind of serious recognition issue in every case um, that the the words and the verbs and the, the queries I said were perfectly transcribed and the, the any defects were down to what what the the engines did at the, in the cloud as opposed to you know locally on my phone you know to tr tr gathering my voice and then transmitting it and then that being recognized yeah it is worth saying actually that for each kind of accent or each country um, all of the companies actually kind of customize it or put in extra information. They kind of tune it, if you will. And this is why Cortana isn't available in all countries. And actually the same applies to Siri and, and Google Voice as well. The number of countries is gradually expanding. Um, and, you know, we saw the UK come in after the US. I think it's, you know, added some European countries recently. Um, but it's also worth saying that regional accents can be a bit of a problem. If you do a, I, I'm going to pick on Siri here just because I know the, this video exists. But if you uh, search for Scottish Siri, you'll find that um, perhaps some of the people living in the north of the UK have a bit more problem with these uh, voice assistants. Um, and obviously there is a lot dependent on the clarity of your voice, the quality of the microphones in the device. And actually there, arguably the Lumia devices have an advantage because they do have the higher quality microphones. And of course, also the ambient sound. But, you know, I think actually this was a pretty fair test to run, Steve, simply because, you know, you weren't kind of prejudging it with certain type of questions. There's a real selection here. But it is worth saying, sometimes if you change just a few words in the question, you can give the uh, voice assistant on whatever platform just enough of a hint to say what you actually want. And so, you know, humans are a lot more sophisticated at understanding a question when they're asked it. Whereas, you know, if I ask you, oh, can you recommend a good pub? It's kind of implicit that you'll do something that's close to me at that current time. Or, you know, you may understand the context of the conversation means something else. Um, for these voice assistants, and it depends on which question you're asking, adding in something like near to me will give it an extra clue. And, and certainly when you're referring to things, uh, in the kind of built into the phone certain applications referring them to the right the right app by name or using calendar instead of schedule can have an impact on on these results and we actually see that in some of the search results 
you come up with. And before we move off this topic, Sue, I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about are you actually using kind of Siri, Cortana, Google Voice uh, in day-to-day use on the phone? And if so, is it in any particular scenario? I have to say uh, the only time I really use it, apart from trivial examples like set an alarm in five minutes to remember to turn the eggs off or something, (laughs) the only time I I actually use it in anger to do real stuff like, you know, sending emails out, text messages, looking something up, navigating somewhere, all by voice is in the car. It's the absolute natural environment. My car is not a super sophisticated car, but it is quiet enough that that works pretty well. Uh, And I can bark out all of these instructions and... On the whole, I get very good results indeed, even with the latest Windows 10 Mobile Insiders preview. And, and we'll come back to the uh, the maps in a moment. But yeah, uh, uh, I think driving is the, the natural environment environment for me. And I very rarely remember around the house. It's so convenient just to tap in something on the uh, the on-screen keyboard. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's there's still some kind of almost uh, societal block or it's, you know, good behavior not to talk to your phone in public, just as kind of it used to be. You don't use your your phone at the dinner table when you're out at a restaurant i expect that will will change in time but you're right there are certain places where it makes more sense and it's obviously where it needs to be hands-free and in the cars a good one i find i actually use it more than that um if i've got a device that's got the always on kind of voice input and uh, this is something that's coming in the last few years it's in the lumia 930 um it's in the most recent iphone it's in some of the android devices i think it, moto x was one of the first to have this um it's just in the recent announced nexus devices whereby if you put um, a dsp chip uh, outside the kind of the main process and you can just have that on all the time it's kind of a bit like the sensor core technology on the lumia devices for counting steps and things like that you can kind of have it always on the microphone always listening to the kind of the keyword so you know you go um you know okay google uh, you can say hey cortana and you know siri etc etc and i mean i think that does change it because then you don't have, have to touch your device at all and it can be sitting next to you or sitting maybe a little uh, away from you on the table i've used it on the bedside table in that context but because i've been using a, a lumia 830 which doesn't have that always on as one of my main devices i kind of haven't really got into the habit of it um so when i do use that device that kind of ticks up that use but even on the lumia 830 sometimes when i'm just around her, and i'm the only one around and i have to admit i haven't really done much of this in public or where there's other people in the room i will just ask a question of cortana because it is quicker than than typing it in uh, and to my mind there's no doubt that you know kind of voice input will come in more and more on devices and i've actually been using this on on my uh, kind of surface and on a couple of computers as well um in google chrome you can actually add in an option to go okay google when you're um using the chrome web browser and it will obviously kick off a google search and i find that pretty useful as well so i mean just just your thoughts i mean i think voice input absolutely is the future i think it's going to become much bigger than it is now uh, and so actually the role these voice assistants will play i think is only going to get greater uh, and if you're not in that realm well you can still use them in the command line yeah, absolutely i do think we're still a couple of years away at least i mean i've done various futuristic uh, crystal ball gazing editorials and various um, podcasts and, and websites i'm looking at basically talking to a gadget on your wrist and there is a there is a scenario in which you can see that happening in four five six seven years time where everything gets done via voice by you, t- you know talking quietly and discreetly to your wrist having said that it's not the ideal scenario and there's no way you can consume you know visual media like movies that way so it's not an all-in-one device whatever apple might like you to think but um <laughs> I, the, I, yes i think voice voice will be one of the 
core ways we interface with technology, just just as as was predicted in Star Trek. I know people quote that as a famous example, but in the future we will be able to say OK computer or Hey Cortana or whatever, and say whatever we want to, um, and whatever queries and complex instructions, and and it will just go off and do them and answer our questions. It will happen. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the thing that Star Trek got wrong is it's not going to be one kind of. Uh, big computer in the the starship is actually going to be personal to you, uh, but I guess you can forgive that that little miss because they got a lot of other things dead on, including the uh, little you know personal communicators and Indeed. tricorders and yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on, moving on. Uh, uh, Windows Ten Mobile Build One Zero Five Three Six came out about two weeks ago as we record this. Um, I've been using it. I did a whole write-up on uh, what the good, the bad, and the ugly. I do say it is ready for day-to-day use as long as you're a geek and an early adopter. And you don't mind the odd quirk. There are still a few dot, dot, dot resumings, mainly when going back to the start screen, which is kind of annoying. You know, Everything's running along really smoothly, and then you put your phone down for an hour. You pick it up, you unlock the screen, and resuming. You have to wait about three or four seconds before you get your start screen back, which is so annoying, but um, I'm sure they're on that bug. Um, I would say that uh, I was speaking to our good friend, mutual good friend, Matt Miller. On, he was on the phone show chat as a guest last Sunday. And uh, he said that on his, I think it's a, it might be a Lumia 830 his end as well. And he said he basically resets it once, factory resets it once a month. So in other words, basically after each of these builds, he actually does the full reset, which is kind of extreme behavior. And even I haven't gone that far. But uh, it does just go to show that uh, if you do keep your device lean and mean, um, these builds, they're actually getting pretty usable now, and it's basically the user data, user applications, and user settings, which are kind of just slowing it down a bit. So Microsoft has clearly got work to do. I still think we're about a month, at least a month, away from final firmwares that are ready to ship on any kind of device, and at least a couple of months from any kind of over-the-air updates. But we're getting there, and I, should, I guess we should say that we're about due for another build, because that was about two weeks ago. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, we mentioned this build on the last podcast and it had literally just come out, so we hadn't really had a, a chance to play with it. But now having done so, yeah, it does seem a little bit more mature. And I, mean, I, I guess as with the case with all these builds, it, it fixed one bug. You know, in this case, it was kind of the internet sharing and seemed to introduce some more. But we've also seen various application updates uh, come through in the last two weeks as well. Um, some of them have been uh, relatively minor on the surface. I mean, I think all the Office apps got an update and it's not 100% clear what was new, although um, it, it's difficult to tell unless you run them side by side. I thought there were some performance improvements, but I know you've spotted a few other updates come through in the last two weeks, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Office was the big one, although I did notice that they've still got a print function and there's no printing support yet. <laughs> and there's also, of course, no glance support, so there's some of the settings are silly clearly uh, missing in action. Groove Music was one that got several big updates and also film and TV. Um, Photos got numerous updates in the last two weeks. I've kind of lost track of uh, all the things they've added to that. Also, there's been the Photos add-in, which gives the uh, kind of a Lumia Moments style functionality. So there are really quite a lot coming in via the store at the moment, Um, but it does need that extra new build to get rid of that resuming bug when going back to the start screen because that that is just a killer it just kills the experience stone dead just when you want to pick up your phone and be delighted again you're you're utterly annoyed so uh, yeah i'd agree i mean that's actually the one that stopped me using it as a kind of main device because it's something obviously that you do so frequently that that delay uh, it, it, it's kind of actually instructive in a way that um, some delays you can put up with others it's just absolutely no-nos 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the applications that did get updated was Maps. And I wanted to just come to this briefly, Rafe, because I was, I did a whole feature. I was basically out and about in the south of England. Didn't quite get down your way, but um, I was trying it on some known busy, uh, busy junctions and known roadworks. And there's quite a lot of those in Berkshire and Hampshire and Surrey <laughs> at the moment. So I did a kind of a round trip. And I wrote up some of my experiences. Um, now, the first thing I should say is that uh, Windows 10 mobile maps, which are kind of a lot, I just call it maps from now on, um, it, the, the planning around known um, big roadworks and known instance and known motorway traffic flow is pretty good. And you can, it can plan around those. It can give you an estimated time of arrival. And it gets those right. But where I found it fell down, was it it's completely clueless by anything local? In other words, you know, just if you picture the end of your road, Rafe, say that they're, say they're digging it up for a week and basically the road's closed. That's the sort of thing that doesn't get make it onto Windows 10 mobile maps. And I'm assuming also not onto here maps, of course, and here drive, which of course um, they, they're supplying a lot of the map data for this. So uh, this kind of puts the kibosh on it, really, because you're motoring along. You've got a nice estimated time of arrival. You've gone through a few motorway junctions and dual carriageways. Everything's been allowed for. It's showing red on the, the, the map screen where the traffic is indeed slow. And all of a sudden, as in my article, you come to road close. And on the map screen in Windows 10 Mobile Maps, it's shown as green, drive straight on. So there's clearly some kind of gap in data gap here. I know we should be thankful we've got any of this, but I was saying, reminiscing in my article back a 10 years ago, we'd been over the moon to get even a fraction of this functionality. And yet now we've got this real-time satellite navigation with traffic awareness. We want all traffic awareness, not just motorway junctions. And I have to feel that they're kind of playing catch-up a bit, really, with Google Maps here, who have got all the emitted advantage of all of the Waze data streaming in from uh, millions of people's phones. Yeah, I was going to say, Waze does seem to make a, a big difference, although even on Google Maps, they have problem getting that real-time information in. And I, I agree, you know, that's probably the the most interesting one when it's because um, you know the the traffic flow can be handled quite well and there are various kind of uh, inputs to to deal with that on the bigger roads but of course when you get down to the local level that's not always going to be possible and I think just solving that as a challenge is just the sheer amount of data is always going to be uh, problematic but of course with ways that you you can get instance when things are misreported or you know it's cleared up uh, when it's still marked as blocked so that goes both ways I mean I can remember talking to here on many occasions about this and saying, you know, they've gone after the kind of what they regard as the, uh, if you like, the macro level problems first of all, which it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, and then they're going to get down to the smaller scale stuff in time. Um, and they talk about how actually once you get connected cars and smart cars, it will become easier to do that because, of course, they'll be able to monitor a certain number in real time, but there aren't enough cars out there that are equipped with that kind of information. And what they are using it to do is kind of um, identify corners that are problematic or where the braking zone or does something interesting, and that can get used in city planning, but it hasn't quite translated into into the maps. And of course, then doing that on real, real time is you know, an altogether different scale. I mean, I do wonder whether it would be possible to, you know, first of all, just get roadworks on a, you know, maybe a, update every 24 hours and mark them as potential problem areas but of course it doesn't really become useful until it really is real time because uh, obviously varies from country to country but you'll be familiar see with the roadworks that pop up for 12 hours as some bit of road is being dug up and then uh, gets put away again which can add you know 10 minutes to your journey if you uh, get caught in it at the wrong time or in a queuing line of traffic or something like that um, but I suppose we're probably being a bit picky here. It has come a long way. And, and I will say that, uh, you know, the Windows 10 mobile maps 
implementation does seem to have taken a bit of a step forward. I mean, there was this stagnation after kind of uh, Nokia got acquired or the device and service division got acquired by Microsoft and there was it wasn't clear who was maintaining the apps. And so it's kind of pleasing to see that there is some activity in this space. And um, I'm not sure I necessarily agree that every way they've done things is better, but overall it does feel like an improvement. And certainly um, if you're doing that kind of casual GPS navigation, you will find the built-in stuff more than good enough. I suspect people that are you know, doing kind of satellite navigation or using it day in, day out as part of their job probably are still with the standalone units or with some of the other programs. You know, Copilot, for example, do a great job of uh, catering to that or if you're using it for fleet management or logistics. Um, but nonetheless, I think it, it deserves credit and it, you know, of course, continues to be free. And I would argue, you know, with the downloadable maps uh, and the quality of the data, particularly when you look outside the, the US, which is, I think, um, where Google sometimes falls down and things are improving there all the time, there, there's a lot to be said for, it was here maps, and I guess we now just refer to it as maps on Windows 10 mobile, uh, but it is one of the strongest applications they have, and uh, you know, big thumbs up, I like, like the improvements I've seen so far in the Windows 10 mobile version. Now we should also, just you mentioned the maps there, of course, not only can you download them manually, but for Windows 10 mobile maps, they actually auto-update as well, so you can just leave it to itself and never have to be prompted by, there is an up, a 300 megabyte update, do you wish to apply it now, all that stuff. It just happens in the background, and that's, of course, how it should behave, so uh, well done. And I did enjoy in your article about this, Steve, how you managed to uh, squeeze in a screenshot of Mapper, which was your original... <laughs> uh, GIS app running on uh, Cyan Palm Tops, which I can remember using back in the early days, and particularly like this screenshot because it also ha- managed to squeeze in Blandford Forum as well, which I thought was very appropriate. I'm guessing that was more uh, serendipitous rather than uh, deliberate, but even so, it made me smile. It, it might have been a deliberate back in the day, but that screenshot itself is about 15 years old, <laughs> so I can't go, can't uh, go for whatever was going through my head at the time. Um, before we move to the main uh, event of this podcast, I guess we wanted to look ahead to next week and the Lumia uh, 950 and 950XL. I just wanted to mention briefly the editorial I put up this, this morning as we recorded this about replaceable batteries. I had a bit of a rant, Rafe. I'm, not, I'm kind of famous <laughs> for doing rants, but this is the case. They, we have the Lumia 830, the 950, 950XL, the uh, 640, the 640XL. They've all got replaceable batteries. What do you need then to kind of make the most of that feature? I would guess spare batteries, a place you could buy them and, and uh, get them from a trusted seller. And it's they're absolutely nowhere to be seen. I've been scouring the internet for a replaceable battery for the Lumia 830 and for the 640 and 640XL, three existing handsets, all of which have been out for many months, in the 830's case, about a year. And I found no spare batteries whatsoever from any supplier for the 640, 640XL at all, anywhere on the enti- in the entire planet. And I found one. I found one battery for the 830 for one lucky owner somewhere from one supplier in Finland. <laughs> we have an ecosystem uh, based around phones with replaceable batteries, and there is literally one battery one battery in the entire world that is available for purchase when every single spare part site i went to every single one on the sidebars were full up with get a new battery for your iphone the iphone's got a sealed battery it's not even user replaceable <laughs> for goodness sake i just seem the entire world has gone mad and i'm afraid that just made me see red and it's all microsoft's fault there they own the completely the, the devices they own the supply chain they they, they can they can supply accessory um distributors with these batteries and they can all be bought in and disseminated throughout the world and and users can buy spare batteries and it's not happening and it's making me mad yeah um i do love steve's uh, rants because they always bring <laughs> out a, a great point 
in in defense of kind of the battery shortage i would say there's obviously a lot more iphones out there and so it makes sense to have the kind of the batteries more readily available but it does surprise me that microsoft hasn't made an effort to get these into the supply chain at least in some quantities you know making them available through its own store or through amazon wouldn't seem to be entirely impossible but i also think this is a comment on kind of supply and demand you know if there was a lot of genuine demand out there from from users for all this i think you know suppliers would find a way to make it happen because you know that's kind of the way the the market works and so i think it's partly a combination of there not being that many devices out there so presumably for these people who do do it it's worthwhile but i think there just isn't that much demand because people have become so trained not to replace the battery on their phone because we do have so many sealed units and there's so many other ways of topping it up um, that, you know, things like using a USB charger or getting a, a Qi charger for your desk seems to be a, a better way of doing it, which you know, is a bit of a contrast to a few years ago where, I mean, I can certainly remember having multiple batteries for devices like the E61, for example, in, and that had a you know, pretty decent battery life. Um, and batteries, you know, it, it seems we have a lot more variation between models as well, which doesn't help. And then I think people are being put off by the unofficial third-party batteries, which either don't work properly, have lower than reported capacity, or in some cases uh, you know, do damage to the phone or whatever else it is. So I, I would suggest that this is kind of a result of kind of change behavior, which, which is kind of sad in a way. I'd also point out that you know, although Steve would see the uh, back cover being removable as a, all about having a swap over on the battery, it's actually also a cheaper way to do things in terms of having access to the SIM card and the micro SD card slot as well, rather than having an extra fiddly flap or extra bits there. Um, and of course, it does tend to be that these sealed units are associated with the higher end phones where it's kind of the unibody designs. Um, the thing is, I actually think... Uh, Microsoft and others have done a fantastic job of making phones that feel like unibodies or feel you know very well put together um, but still have the ability to take the back, back cover off and it's kind of it seems to me that you know some of the reasons for having that unibody which was about strength and about you know actually cutting weight and all those kind of things that has been answered by improvements in in design although they are of course still there so a bit of an answer to your rant but I can't really disagree with you, Steve. It, it seems nuts that you can't get hold of these. Um, and it becomes increasingly important when, you know, if you've got a device that's a couple of years old, you will lose a certain amount of your battery capacity. And while the technology has improved, it's not as bad as it used to be. I would, you know, I don't want to really put any absolute figures on this, but I would guess for each year you use a phone, you probably lose about 10% of the battery capacity, maybe something like that. Obviously, depending on how much it's in use and how much you charge it. So, you know, if you've got a phone that's two years old, that starts to become, you know, a significant impact on how you use it. And certainly once you go beyond that, you know, three or four years old, definitely want to think about replacing it if you possibly can. But um, I think sadly, not all that many phones um, get to that stage. Um, and maybe 10% is too aggressive. Maybe it's more like 5%. But uh, yeah, excellent rant, Steve. Um, and I always get a few uh, comments when uh, when people see a Steve rant. They always want to see more of them. I think they like it when you get angry. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think you're being kind. I think 10% is actually an underestimate. Um, from my own tests and observations, I think it's nearer 15% a year in the average user's hands. Don't forget that a lot of users actually abuse their batteries and they let their phones run right down quite often. Lithium-ion batteries hate being run 
right down to, you know, 5% remaining. They like being continually topped up. And most of us geeks, we, we do tend to top up in the office and top up in the car and top up at night. So rarely do we actually let our batteries get that low. We probably get away with 5%, maybe to 10% degradation a year. But the average normal, they completely kill a battery in about two years with no trouble at all. So, and they're the sort of people who will need the extra, the spare mm. batteries. So mm. let, let's hope the 640 and the 640XL at least for those sort of users, um, does get some kind of spare battery supply chain going. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, briefly, before we finish, um, these 950 and 950XL widely leaked now. I mean, they've been <laughs> the official presentation slides from Microsoft were even leaked for last week, for goodness sake. So we now know everything there is to know in terms of specifications. And I took the opportunity of putting up a comparison feature, or rather updating it, um, looking at the Lumia 930, which is the kind of the current Windows Phone flagship, uh, with the 950 and 950XL. I did this about uh, three or four months ago when fewer of the specs were known and some of that was then guesswork. Now everything is not guesswork. So that that green table in the feature is now uh, more or less set in concrete. A lot of people are kind of poo-pooing the, the devices saying, well, it's not that much of an upgrade. But in actual fact, Rafe, I, th- I think they're wrong. There's the, the going from a 800, Snapdragon 800 to 808, maybe that doesn't seem like a huge advantage. Um, people are saying it's a double performance, but uh, double the performance and also it's a 64-bit architecture. That's the, for, for a grown-up operating system like Windows 10 Mobile. And we've seen, you know, some of the existing devices getting slightly bogged down. You can just see how that extra bit of processor oomph and the, the greater bandwidth inside the processor, I think that will make the Windows 10 Mobile absolutely fly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very difficult to tell without having seen the devices. I mean, there's been a few leaked benchmarks, but um, depending on how well Windows can take advantage of the, the 64-bit, um, and it's uh, I think it's a hexa-core in the case of the 950 and octa-core in the case of the XL, that's kind of irrelevant. What it is, it's new processor architecture, and I think it's probably a fairly safe assumption that Microsoft would have done a lot to kind of optimize and tune for that. So I would suggest that, you know, that is a big leap up. And actually, uh, depending on how much detail we get into on processors, that certainly is a family step up for these uh, Windows phone devices, or Windows 10 Mobile, as I should call it now. And so actually that processor is significant. I mean, the one thing I'd say, of course, is with uh, the Windows devices, Processors have never been that big a deal because performance in terms of speed has always been uh, pretty good. But um, you know, and we've talked about the comparisons between Snapdragon 400 and 800. Uh, yeah, I, these will be speedy. They will be the fastest Windows devices, um, and so I think that's a good thing. I mean, you can also call out the uh, graphics core. That's also a pretty um, uh, impressive update. But I actually think some of the other updates are kind of uh, more interesting. So to my mind, um, it looks like there's going to be uh, an updated camera module. We're not sure of the exact details of that yet. So that's one of the things that's kind of a bit of an unknown. But things like uh, USB Type-C, and with that actually we're getting fast charging, which is um, for all intents and purposes, as far as we understand, that's going to be quick charging 2.0. And so that's going to allow for much faster recharging of the phone. And of course, they've got the uh, wireless charging built in. So nice to see that. The batteries are getting uh, a bit bigger. Um, and that's obviously a good thing. Uh, USB Type-C, that's a nice little update, in my opinion. You know, the ability to not have to worry about which way around you're plugging in the cable for your phone. Um, that's great. Um, things like the, uh, the kind of the iris scanner or that's going to support Windows Hello, which is effectively a biometric authentication mechanism. That could be really interesting for unlocking the phone and whether that's also maybe for other security, uh, it would be interesting to see whether that gets into payment like we've got with, um, kind of the, uh, fingerprint sensors on some of the Android and the iPhone devices. Um, 
And, you know, you also have to look at things like, you know, it's got a bit of extra RAM. It's supporting the next generation of the LTE network. So in some places that's going to be, you know, mean you get faster downloads as well. So to me, because it's actually been quite a gap since, um, you know, the, the last one was announced, as you mentioned in this comparison article, it's effectively uh, 2013 with the Lumia Icon variant. I mean, basically we're talking getting on actually really for almost 20 months. I mean, maybe 18, 90 months, depending on how you count it. So yeah, it, it is actually a significant step forward. Um, and you know, the, the kind of the big one, I suppose, also is the, the screen because going to QHD, that's going to be a first for a Windows 10 mobile device as well. Um, so in contrast to kind of the, some of the step updates you get each year on the Android flagships and on, you know, the iPhone, because, um, this, you know, Windows 10 mobile, I mean, effectively the Luma icon as it was is, was kind of the top of the range two years ago. We're now moving on to what's effectively top of the range. I guess it was earlier this year if we're talking about things like the Snapdragon 808 and the 810. But that's certainly, you know, almost a, a, a leap of two generations uh, compared to the, the directly competing devices in the flagship. So to me, that kind of being leveled as it's not that interesting is kind of unfair. And also, I actually think, you know, the specifications aren't so much the point now. It's been really interesting to watch the most recent set of presentations where the exact details of the specifications seem to matter much less even in the way that they're talked about to a technical audience it becomes much more about the experiences so and i expect you know microsoft to do the same they will really emphasize windows 10 mobile and how it's a grown-up operating system we'll probably see more about what the you know the camera can do um you know things like the triple led flash on the 950 xl we will see things about fast charging that's you know and goes that, that kind of hand in hand with type c that's a better experience for charging um you know better battery life because of the bigger batteries and probably more capable and i'll say the windows hello stuff with the bio, bio um with the biometrics you know all kind of interesting experiences which do things that the previous devices just didn't do and and to me that's the definition of a big upgrade yeah, yeah. Just one one clarification I wanted to make because this, this confused me at first. Um, <laughs> the, the naming QHD sounds like Quad HD, which indeed it is. And you think, well, I, my 1080p screen on my Lumia 1520 or 930 is is quite good enough. Why? That's very crisp. Why on earth would I want four times the pixels? But the thing is. Uh, it's only two times the pixels. Exactly, Q- yeah. QHD is actually quad 720p. So uh, if people out there are wondering, well, do we really need QHD on our smartphones in 2015? Well, if you think about it, that the uh, 930 was 1080p, we would call it. So across the screen, you've got 1080p pixels. Then basically, we're moving to 1440. So it's basically not even half as much again um, in each direction. And I would say that because the 930 and, and these new devices, they're all AMOLED, they're all going to be pentile displays, which means you only actually get half that number of pixels in terms of the red and blue pixels. So for all these different reasons, a very long-winded, roundabout <laughs> way of saying, I think these displays will be crisp and worthwhile, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing yeah. them. I, I actually think the display, for me personally, is one of the things that is probably less in need of an upgrade on the 950. I think on the 950XL with the, you know, it's a bigger screen, you know, basically got an extra half inch there. It, it, it makes sense. Um, but again, I guess you know, it's become more of a standard thing now. I mean, this... Uh, I think you're right. Describing it as a 1440p display is probably a better way to talk about it. it has become a kind of par for the course for these high-end devices. And of course, you know, uh, despite me saying that specs don't seem to matter so much anymore, it is still something that people look at. Um, and I've probably always been a bit conservative for my view on the screens. Uh, I mean, I look at devices with a, a 720p screen, and honestly, I, I see that as fine. Yeah, it's not as good as 1080p, but there is very little that I can't do on that that I can do on 
you know, a 1080p device. It's, it, it's kind of, I get the quality of the experience. Maybe it's because I wear glasses and I've got very good eyesight. I don't notice a difference. Um, and I know for some people it's a much bigger deal. I've always said it's the quality of the screen that matters to me far more than the actual resolution. Yeah, in terms of the upgrades, um, I did say in the article, I stand by this, that uh, basically anyone with a 735 or 830 or 920 or even 1020, really, although that is kind of a special case still, uh, all of these people, the, the 950 will be quite a tempting upgrade in terms of bringing them right up to date with the, the almost the cutting edge in, across the rest of the smartphone world in one easy step. The 1520, I would say, Rafe, I, I know you and I both have, have one of these large devices, kind of monster smartphones, and uh, I think the spec of that with the micro SD support as well and with the larger screen. I think the 1520 owners might just want to just carry on and seeing how their phone behaves with Windows 10 Mobile as it is, as the over-the-air upgrade. But for everyone else, I think the uh, the new devices will be something they will actually consider dipping into their pocket for. Yeah, I mean, I think the 930 goes in the same category as the 1520 in that probably not an immediate rush to upgrade in terms of kind of ending a, a contract or paying off a subsidy earlier, whichever way around it's going to be. Um, and you know, for those people, it might be worth waiting a little bit because I'm sure the cost of the devices will come down. For other, and I guess that's true for everybody. You know, you wait a bit, and you'll you'll get a better value. Um, but yeah, as you say, the kind of the, the differential between something like the um, the 1520 and the 930 is a little bit smaller. Although I would say still pretty significant than say the 920 or the 925. And for those devices, which are obviously a little bit older as well. Um, it's it's going to be a very noticeable update. As I say, I would describe those devices as being two generation upgrade easily, if if not a bit more. Whereas the nine thirty and the fifteen twenty are more like a, a one and a half generation upgrade. Yeah, yeah, and of course that triple LED flash might may get me uh, testing in earnest with the ten twenty against the Xenon. But let's leave that discussion for another <laughs> day, Ray. We're completely out of time. So what I'll do now is I'll say goodbye, and we'll hope to catch you next week. Um, shortly after the October the 6th event where Microsoft is going to launch these along with the Lumia 550 and a few accessories. Um, but in the meantime, I'll say goodbye and I'll leave it to Rafe to sign off. Yeah, thank you, Steve. It's a, a goodbye from me as well. We'll sort of be rounding up what we think about the, the new device and probably a bit about the event itself because, as uh, Steve said, pretty much everything is leaked. We've talked about much of it in this podcast, but I'm sure there'll still be a few surprises to talk about the way it's presented. But uh, until then, it's goodbye from me as well and thanks for listening.